Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Play by Players. Today I'm joined by uh, one of my old teammates, uh, not just a teammate, a guy I call a friend. I'm not so sure that uh, he calls me a friend, but that's okay. Um, he is an Armenian-American soccer wonder child. That's the word I've come up with for him. Uh, he had highlight reels uh, in terms of goals scored. It'll challenge that one against anyone's highlight reel in the world, including the greats. Um, half of his goals usually involve someone on the field yelling, don't shoot that. And uh, he still did it, but it led to over 34 goals in MLS. He gave goalies nightmares. Uh, he's hated by the jersey kit men. They have to put his name on the back of the jerseys. Uh, he's responsible for the death of more turkeys than the pilgrims. Please welcome to the podcast, Aleko Eskandarian. Wow. I, I can definitely say I've never gotten an intro like that ever before in my life. So thank you very much, Sir Bobby Boswell. Well, hey, man, how you doing? You look great. I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten to see you in a long time, but, but how's everything going? Everything's good, man. Obviously, uh, you know, we got hit pretty hard here in, in uh, New York with the pandemic and a whole host of other things. So I'm um, just trying to maintain as much as we can during these hard times. But uh, I, I honestly can't complain, man. Family's healthy. So everything is good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. I'm, I'm better now that you're here. Um, and, and I have to preface, uh, before we start with the line of questioning, I have to tell a story about Aleko. This is my favorite Aleko story to tell anybody because yes. Aleko has got, uh, you know, if, if you were to describe his goals on the field, you wouldn't believe them unless you saw them. And some of his stories off the field, you would say there's no way any of this stuff is true. And uh, you know, a lot of people will reference the Kim Kardashian date and they'll say there's no way that an MLS player went on a date with Kim Kardashian. But uh, my favorite Aleko story was uh, one day we were at a bar uh, near his house and I decided I was going to go home. He said, I think I'm just going to hang out a little while longer, finish my drink, go up to my apartment. And uh, next day at practice, I said, how'd it go? And he said, you won't believe what happened. Uh, a supermodel came in after you left. And uh, we started talking and, uh, you know, had a drink or whatever. And then I got her number and like, we're, we're like going on a date now. And it's like, you are so full of crap. Like, there's no need to lie to me. I'm still your buddy. And, uh, and then like a couple days later, I see in the newspaper, it was Aleko and some actual supermodel in town. It was, he was there for some conference or fashion week or something. And uh, there he is. So uh, I was a compulsive liar when we'd go out and drink. Uh, I think you were too sometimes to have fun, but uh, all the stories that I'm going to tell you today about Aleko are a hundred percent true, regardless of whether you want to believe them or not. Does that, would you say that's accurate? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll take your word for it, man. I, it, a lot, a lot of the times we spent together were, uh, were a blur because, you know, we were probably just dehydrated, but um, yeah, man, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, well, uh, let's uh, before we go, you know, down some of those uh, dehydrated stories, let's take it back to the beginning. Um, Aleko, for those that don't know, he's talking about New York, but uh, he is he is Jersey proud, uh, born in New Jersey. Uh, he's got the Jersey attitude. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about growing up and, and you know, I know you're, you, you got deep Armenian roots, 
but also I feel like Jersey gives you also a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, for sure. Um, really, really proud to be from Jersey. Um, and yeah, to be an Armenian from Jersey, it was a unique experience, but I think what makes New Jersey so great in my eyes is that's a melting pot. And I grew up very much with a mentality of, you know, you take pride in where you're from, uh, meaning your background, your ethnicity. So my, even my club teams growing up, you had like the Jamaican guys, the Colombian guys, the Peruvian guys, the Italian guys. And it was all like based on, on like how the country, like the national team was doing or some of the top club teams and things like that. Um, so for me, I was kind of like, damn, I, like there aren't any like great Armenian teams and like the national <laughs> team wasn't good. So I had an uphill battle in every single argument. So one, I learned how to take criticism because that's what uh, got thrown my way. And two, I learned how to, how to stick up for myself and defend myself. And uh, the beauty of it was, you know, we all had so much pride in, in our different backgrounds and ethnicities, but um, we all then came together to like, be like, we're all from Jersey, you know? And it's kind of like Jersey against the world type of mentality. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of great lessons learned in Jersey that uh, wasn't until later in life when I was exposed to other parts of the country that I'm like, oh, you, you, know, you can't get away with that in Jersey or <laughs> that wouldn't fly in Jersey. Uh, but you just start to learn about the culture. So I think all of us from Jersey, from that pocket, um, are really proud of, of where we're from. Well, I, I've had a lot of California kids on this podcast and they brag about California being the best soccer state of all. Um, I mean, looking at some of the guys that have come out of Jersey, I, I would I would put those names, you know, maybe maybe not a complete team, but that the in terms of individual talent, I mean, Jersey's got to be up there as, as probably one of the best uh, soccer producing states in the country. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there, there's no question. It's not even a debate in my mind, especially when you think about how small Jersey is and you're comparing it to the entire state of California. Like <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty insane how um, there's so many players that have made it from Jersey. And I, and I think the first thing you think about is just grit too. Like you, you, you got to go through some stuff in order to make it when you're coming out of, of Jersey. And um, there are things that, you know, for me were normal, but like I said, when I go around the country and watch other players or um, learn the stories of, of, you know, other teammates, you start to realize like, maybe it's not normal to get into like fist fights at 14, like on the <laughs> soccer field. But for us, that was just how it would work. Yeah. Well, uh, he's talking about fist fights. This guy is, uh, he's loyal to Jersey. He's loyal to his teams. He's a glutton for pain. The, the Mets, the Jets, the Nets, and Arsenal, just four horrible teams that he supports. Um, but let's, let's not get into sports uh, outside of soccer. Let's talk a little bit about your dad, uh, your first, probably your first coach, your first role model, still your role model, um, you know, played on, you know, what I, I would consider the, the best team in the world, given the time the old Cosmo teams had uh, the best players in the world. And he was a, a member of that. Um, talk to me a little bit about growing up, having a father uh, that was so successful, you know, as a, as a player. Yeah, truly blessed uh, to have my dad as a, as a mentor and um, kind of teach me everything I knew about the game and relate it back to life lessons. So um, for me, when I was growing up, I have an older brother and my older brother is like a saint. Like he was, I was in such a shadow growing up because this guy literally did nothing wrong and followed every rules, listened, great manners, everything. And I was the opposite where I was like speaking out of turn, wasn't always listening, didn't follow instructions. So 
at home, I was always kind of second fiddle to, to my brother. Um, and it's natural for kids to like fight for their parents' attention, but I was always second best, like always like the bad kid. And it started out soccer for me just as a way to like vent and like get my frustration out and, and just like express myself and usually like ended with me like fighting my brother. Right. And, um, it was funny that like, as I start to start to get older and, uh, you know, had some relative success at a, at a young age, now you had like parents of my teammates who were like, great job, Aleko, you're doing really good, really good. And I was like, oh, this is what love feels like. Like, oh, this is, this is new. And uh, it was like funny because I had like two lives, right? Like at home, I w- and, and the thing was is that my parents were trying to teach me doesn't matter how good you are at soccer like you have to get your crap together off the field and um eventually there was a nice marriage to it where you know my dad one of the best lessons he taught me was you if you have any plans of being a soccer player a good soccer player first you have to be a good person because at the end of the day if no one likes you then no one's going to pass you the ball like it's and and you you break it down to simple terms but it really makes sense where you're like Man, and we've all been there, Bobby, right? If you have that one guy on your team that's selfish, making excuses, not working for the teammates, you're going to think twice when it comes time to help him out, right? If, if they don't have your back. So I started to kind of like correlate the two. And I was like, all right, I, I want to be the same. You know, the, the, the way I want to be known on the field is the same way I want to be known off the field as well. And um, it just helped me kind of put everything together. But definitely – in debt uh, to my dad for, for kind of teaching me those life lessons. Yeah. And, and uh, his dad, for those that don't know, was a international player as well, went to a world cup, I think in Argentina. Um, and he was a defender, uh, which this generation, they don't associate uh, Eskandarian with defense, um, you know, but they do associate it maybe with yellow card, uh, occasional <laughs> red card. So you're keeping some of the family tradition alive. Um your family also uh, owned a soccer store. Is that right? I mean, when we say soccer is your life, um, I mean, that, that's, that's as true as, uh, of a statement as we can make, right? Yeah, not just me, like my entire family. Like we are soccer family uh, through and through. Uh, my older brother played uh, all the way through college at Villanova. And she goes unnoticed at times. My, my mom is like El Jefe. She's like the boss because she – watches more games than anyone that I know, gives me breaking news, even though like I work in soccer, um, <laughs> finds out stuff that I don't know about and is somehow like the, also the most critical out of all of us. I'm like, oh, that's, that guy's got to finish that better or the coach got these tactics wrong. And uh, yeah, she's, she's been uh, kind of behind the scenes, uh, the puppeteer behind it all. All right. And, and uh, for those that don't know, the, the turkey reference in the intro was uh, to Aleko's love for turkey sandwiches. His mom apparently makes the best turkey sandwich uh, in the United States. So shout out to uh, to your mom on that one. Let's talk about, um, you know, you talked about having some success, you know, when getting, you know, you play well at club or uh, with, with your friends and the parents would say you do well. Then you go to a, a pretty important school in, in terms of sports um, and is it, is it Bergen Catholic? Did I get that right? That's right. That's right. I mean, see, where I come from, high school soccer is horrible. But, uh, but where you come from, it, apparently it can get you to uh, become the Gatorade player of the year. Not, or athlete, sorry. Not, not soccer player, 
of New Jersey or anything like the Gatorade player athlete of the year, uh, I think in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, being an all American in high school. I don't know what that's like, so I wouldn't know anything about it. It's, it's funny Rob, because my, my school was not very good at soccer. Um, and I started out, my brother is three years older than me. So I started out as just a ball boy watching my brother play in high school. And so when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, my brother was on varsity and I would watch and I'm like, I think I'm better than some of these guys. Or I think, you know, maybe in a, in a year or two, I can try to compete. But when I got to school, there was a, uh, Burton Catholic's like a very big athlete school and not known for soccer, but football team was always like top 10 in the country. Basketball is always really good. Wrestling team's always top 10 in the country. Um, just amazing athletes all around. Soccer was like low on the totem pole. But um, when I got there, I had all these aspirations to play as a freshman. And they were like, oh, it's a school rule. No freshman can play in varsity. And I was like, oh, this is a bummer. So played with the freshman team, but my older brother was like my ride to school. So I would have to practice with the freshman team and then sit on the side and watch my brother practice. So then he could give me a ride home. So I was doing well with the freshman team and I was pretty frustrated because it was, it was not a great level. Um, And I knew I could easily play with the varsity team, but they just had this stupid rule. So one day at training, it's probably like, two weeks into the season kid goes down with an injury and they just need an extra player for training. And they're like, I started like my boots on. So they're like, Hey, do you want to just like jump in? We're just doing like inner squad. I was like, okay. <laughs> in my head, I was like, this is, my, this is my chance. So went in there and I think I scored like four goals in like a half. And the coach pulled me aside and he's like, all right, we'll try to change the rule. <laughs> so they changed the rule and I was the only freshman that played varsity in, in that, uh, in my high school. So everyone in the high school started buzzing. Like, who is this kid? Does he even speak English? He has a weird name. Like where'd he come from? Definitely not born here. Um, and I was pretty, I was really quiet. I didn't say a word. And because I played varsity, I like, I didn't really have too many friends anymore. Like that were freshmen. So it's like this whole weird thing. But anyway, that started my career. And um, like I said, we were not, we were not great. We didn't win states or anything like that, but that was like my goal by senior year. I was like, I can't leave. Like everything I've accomplished, all the goals I've scored, like I can't leave without winning something. So my senior year, I was lucky that we had an awesome uh, group of players and we just came together and and tore it up and won everything. I scored a ton of goals and uh, the accolades kind of came with that. Yeah. And, uh, for the record, the Bergen Catholic, I went on their website because they have one and what they have three words that they really focus on. One of them is gentlemen. Um, and I looked at the numbers. You scored 154 goals in your time there. You scored 66 in your senior year. Um, there's nothing gentlemanly about scoring 66 goals there in is. high school. Like you just you ripped kids apart in high school. Yes, but they made a rule that I could not score more than five goals in a match. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. So then I would make a game out of it and be like, how quickly can I get five? Because when I scored five, then I would play goalkeeper. So it was like a game for me to be like, how quickly can I get five? 
But the best was we played a rival and it was, uh, we were up 5-4. <laughs> and I like looked to the sideline like, like, what do you want me to do? Like if they, if they tie it up or are we just. We can let them tie like, it up. Yeah. And Chris like, this game, it's allowed. This game, it's allowed. <laughs> like, okay. Thankfully it ended up five, four, but uh, yeah. So I never scored more than five and I ended up having like six shutouts at goalkeeper. So it was pretty sweet. No, I'm not buying that, but <laughs> I'll give you the goals. Um, did you, and I know you've had a pretty extensive youth national career. Did you start, was it in high school that you started playing? Sort of, man. So it's important to, to say this, Bob, because I, yeah, I did really well in high school and like kind of got accolades locally and all that stuff. Um, but with my club team that I played for, which is an amazing club team, like I said, all kids from different backgrounds. And I think like five kids from my club team ended up being pros. We also were like a very poor club team, like t-shirts as jerseys, didn't have any funding or budget to like go to any fancy tournaments. Um, I never even been to a state cup final, let alone like winning states and going to regionals or anything like that. So we were very much like bad news bears. Like we had kids showing up in taxi cabs at halftime, like just like, Oh, sorry, I'm late. And you're like, what? So um, it, it was kind of this like weird thing where we were like very well known in Bergen County in North Jersey, but outside of that, we didn't really, we weren't exposed to like top players around the, around the country. When I was 14, I played in a game and a kid on the other team was like, Hey, uh, I think you're really good. I think you should try out for ODP. And I'm like, what's ODP? I had no idea. And they kind of, the, the kid's dad, like hooked up with uh, my dad and um, we, they, they invited me to ODP tryouts. I went and I had a huge mental block of like, wait a minute, I'm really comfortable with my friends and like playing in my bubble. But like, I don't think I'm one of the best players in the state. Like I, I didn't even think that way. So when I tried out for the state team, my first year ODP, I played like one touch only. Like I was just like hot potato, like give it to me. I'll give it back to you. No problem. Like I didn't even want the ball. I didn't even want to be there. Um, and I just had this whole like confidence thing that I was like, I don't, I don't view myself as being one of these guys. And all these kids were like, my club has won state championship four years in a row. And I was in the national team pool and this and that. And I'm like, nothing. And so my first year at ODP, I was playing like left back only because I was left-footed. I didn't even start. And I was just honestly going through the motions. And state team practices are in Trenton, New Jersey, which is two hours from where I live all the way up north. So my poor dad had to like get off work, drive two hours there, two hours back. I'd get home at like 10 p.m., homework in the car, like dinner, like pre-made sandwiches in the car, like this huge sacrifice. And my dad every day would be like, what are you doing? Like, I don't even recognize who you are out there. And thankfully, you know, we stayed at it. And, and um, the next year, my dad kind of gave me an ultimatum of like, I'm not making this trip if this is how you're going to like play and, you know, just like, you know, play so simple and one touch and like, like tell the coach you're an attacker for Christ's sake, you know? <laughs> so finally that next year I was like, okay. And I, I kind of started being like, I don't care anymore and uh, started asserting myself. And then it wasn't until my senior year that finally um, 
I got some expo exposure nationally where they invited me into the U17 national team. But by that time, when I got called in, uh, the head coach at the time uh, was John Ellinger. And uh, the U17 national team was stacked. Landon, Beasley, Bobby Convey, Gooch, like Alex E, all these guys that were amazing. And when I got called in, uh, they had already been in residency for like two years. So coach was like, hey, you did a lot better than we expected. But I can't tell these kids that have sacrificed two years of their lives that they're going to miss the U17 World Cup to like a new kid. So I got cut. I got cut from the U17 national team. And um, as if I didn't have enough of a chip on my shoulder, that was the, the final kind of dagger that I was like, okay, nothing is promised. And, uh, you know, if, if they don't let you in the door, then break the door down. Okay. Well, that, uh, that sets you up perfectly to go to, to University of Virginia. Um, you know, you, you go there, you've had, you're there three seasons, you score a, a ton of goals there. Uh, I think it's 50 goals in 60 games. Um, you know, I'm not sure what happened in 10 of those games, um, but <laughs> but uh, that's an unbelievable record. I think you're the rookie. Uh, you hold the record for rookies scoring goals. And then I also believe your uh, junior year you scored, I think, 25, which is, you know, I, I don't know if anyone's broken that um, since then. But, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, your time at Virginia. Yeah, so kind of continue off where we left off. Because I didn't make that U17 national team, it's funny how like recruiting worked back then, right? And especially if you're on a small club like I was, I got full rides to every school in the tri-state area and then nothing outside of that. So I had like Rutgers, St. John's, UConn, um, Princeton, like those were the, the schools that were really recruiting me. But I didn't even get a single letter from an ACC school or anything like that. And silver lining, when I missed the under-17 World Cup, because I did well in, in the few camps that I was called in, they were like, hey, you're not going to the U-17 World Cup, but the older age group regional team, Eastern regional team, is going on a trip to Germany. So okay. they invited me to that. So I went there. Fortunately, the coach of that team was the assistant coach at UVA. His name is Craig Reynolds. So he saw me there. I did really well. And this is, mind you, this is already my senior year. Like nowadays kids by like sophomore year know where they're going to go and everything. So this is my senior year, the start of my senior year. And um, he pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, have you, have you committed anywhere yet? And I said, I haven't committed, but my plan is to go to Princeton because I had like an academic grant to go there. I know that's another unbelievable story, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's less believable than going on a date with Kim Kardashian. I think, I think my parents have told me that one too, but um, my plan was to go to Princeton. And then the coach was like, look, I think we need to, we need to bring you in, give us a chance to like, give you a pitch. So they came to my house and, uh, they're like, look, we've spent all of our scholarship money. Um, but we can offer you 15%, um, your freshman year, but you're most likely going to have to redshirt. So it was a tough conversation with my parents. Cause it went from like full ride to now like a pretty big financial burden, um, out of state at UVA. So I made a deal with my parents, give me one semester. I, I just want to see if I can measure up like so many great players at UVA. Um, like Kyle Martino was, was just the rookie of the year there the year before. You had Marshall Leonard, Steve Totten, like all these great guys, Matt Oliver. So um, 
I went in with the mindset of like, I have one semester to just see if I belong. And if not, I'm going to transfer to Princeton and maybe like not even play soccer, you know? And um, I went in that first semester and the coach, they had, we had two starting forwards returning from the year prior. So the coach is like, look, no, no pressure, but you're probably gonna have to redshirt. And I was just like, I got to go for it. So from there preseason did my thing and uh, they gave me a shot. And uh, yeah, the rest was history after that. And I'll never forget at the end of the semester, I broke the school record. And uh, when I went into the postseason like meeting with the coach, he was like, you know, you had, you had an amazing year and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm really sorry, but I, I, I have to let you know that I'm transferring. And he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're transferring? And I, he's like, you just broke the school record and all this stuff. And I was like, and like the jersey in me, I was like, look, I made a deal with my parents that unless I had a full ride, I can't stay here. And he was like, no, 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 okay, you have a full ride from here on out. So that took care of my scholarship. And then, uh, yeah, I stayed for two more seasons. Well, uh, you kind of won everything you could win there in terms of uh, accolades. You were the ACC Rookie of the Year, three-time All-American. Uh, you know, won the Herman Trophy for the best college soccer player in the country. Um, you know, ACC Player of the Year, that, that's, that's just as impressive, in my opinion, just because of how talented the ACC is. Um, and you were Soccer America College Player of the Year, so you got to be in a magazine, which is always good. That was uh, cool. We all grew up looking at that magazine. So that was a pretty big deal. I used to cut the magazine stuff out, you know, and I, I probably read about you uh, in that magazine and, and, you know, was like, wow, that guy's really talented. Um, you know what's funny, Bobby, though, when, when I talk about college is like when I got to UVA, and again, this goes back to Jersey, like my, my club team, <laughs> my New Jersey club team was called Pasco, Passaic County. We practiced behind a prison, <laughs> like no, no joke, behind a prison. And like, if there was grass, even like two or three months out of the year, it was a blessing. It was just dirt, mud, rocks, whatever. When I got to UVA, I mean, I had never seen fields like this in my life. And I'll never forget like being at training and hearing these other kids who were coming from like with all these resumes of U17, U20 and this, and that. And they're like, ah, oh, grass is a bit brown today or so. it was like stuff like that. And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? And that's when I just kind of realized, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, we have a different mentality, you know? Yeah, and, you're cut and, from uh, a different cloth. Yeah, and it's, but it's one of those that you, you very much embrace where like, even when you get onto the field, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to play in mud, through rocks, whatever. And so I don't care about like a bad pass or a bad touch or a bad call. Like, this is going to be a fight. And I realized then when I was at UVA of like, man, all these kids that I was intimidated by with like long resumes and awards and everything, like really doesn't mean anything. Cause once you get out there, if you're not willing to fight me, then like, I'm going to come out on top. So yeah, that, that helped just the mental side and getting through that. No, you definitely are a competitor. Um, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll touch a little more on that. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you had your, you had your good year. Uh, in terms of winning everything you could win your your junior year, you decide to leave early. Um, you're an elite class in terms of uh, being a first round draft pick in the MLS uh, Super Draft. Uh, meant a lot more, I think, back then. Not to take anything away from the process now, but um, I definitely think that that there was a lot more value on that uh, when you did it. Um, you know, you get drafted to DC where Ray Hudson's the coach. 
I, I don't want to not let you talk about being drafted first, um, but I do. I, I found a story about you that I really liked. It was more about your dad that Ray Hudson played in a game in Fort Lauderdale where your dad was attacked by a fan for his being who he was. Is that, I mean, is that the best way? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, you know, this goes back to like knowing your roots and, and your history. So my, my family is Armenian. We are Christian Armenians. Um, and to understand my dad's story, you have to understand the history of the Armenian people, which dates back to the genocide of 1915, um, where Turkey essentially massacred one and a half million Armenians and millions and millions more were, were displaced. So it's common nowadays that anytime even I meet an Armenian, the first question you ask is, okay, you're Armenian, but from where? Because Armenians were forced to um, relocate to um, other places, uh, of course, unless they were killed. So my parents, both my parents are Armenians and they both, uh, uh, their, their um, parents or grandparents uh, were forced to relocate to Iran. So Iran was one of the countries that was actually receptive to Christian Armenians in terms of giving them jobs and letting them stay there without you know, uh, them being at risk. So both of my parents, Christian Armenians, growing up in Tehran, which is obviously a Muslim country. Um, and my dad's story is unbelievable because he essentially beat all odds by being a Christian Armenian and rising through the ranks to be one of the top players on the Iranian national team and playing for the biggest club in Iran which was Taj at the time. So uh, my dad became like a, a folk hero in, in Iran and, and more so just for like the working class because he was a guy that um, was not supposed to be afforded those opportunities, but because he was able to just earn himself uh, those opportunities where um, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't not pick him for the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when he made the national team, played in the World Cup, and then was, uh, you know, made a name for himself playing for Iran. Then it was like Iranian defender on Johnny Eskandarian. So everywhere he went after that, or every press clipping was Iranian player, Iranian player. So at that time, 1978, 1979 is when the, uh, the hostage crisis uh, came down. There was like a revolution, all that stuff. I think the movie uh, Argo does like a really good job um, covering it. But um, when that Iran hostage crisis happened, my dad was now playing for the Cosmos and like in the, in like the uh, pregame manual or whatever, he's listed as like defender from Iran. So with tensions being high between the US and Iran at that time, there was a crazy, uh, I think like Vietnam War veteran military guy who was in the stands in Fort Lauderdale and he had come in with a knife and his plan was to attack and try to kill my dad as a, as a way of like uh, revenge for the hostage crisis that was happening in Iran. So yeah, the guy jumped, at, jumped onto the field at the end of the game. Um, and uh, I think as my dad tells it, like he kind of crept up and, and I think it was Giorgio Kinalia who saw the guy and actually went and like tackled him before he kind of got to my dad and then all the players kind of, um, you know, restrained him and he was taken off the field and I think arrested afterward. But yeah, crazy time. And, and actually my dad has a great like scrapbook 
And, you know, my dad didn't speak barely any English at that time. And his great quote, I think in like the New York Times or something was, in, in Iran, I'm considered Armenian. And so I was like discriminated against. And now I come to America and I'm considered Iranian. And now I'm like hated. So he's like, no matter where I go, I can't win. <laughs> that, was his, that was his line. Well, I guess, I guess, I mean, that's a amazing story. And I don't think it's a, a, a great story in terms of the, the outcome and, and why it happened. But, um, you know, you, you're a big family guy and, and, you know, you've talked about your dad's role and, and your development and, and growing up. I mean, that's a huge lesson, right. For, for a, a father. I mean, did you know about like, you know, did you learn about these, some of these crazy stories that, that he had? And, and if so, what was the message that he, you know, talked to you about, about basically being hated uh, by people for who you are? Yeah. You know, my dad is a special human being, man. Um, I've never met a more humble, genuine person than, than my dad. And I, I wish more of it uh, spilled onto me because uh, I think I'm, I'm missing some of those, those traits. But um, for, oddly enough, my dad never talked about any of it, ever. My dad's very private, personal, and it was always other people that would bring stuff up. And I'd be like, what are they talking about? And then I'd have to kind of ask my dad and um, he would kind of give me just roundabout stories. But I learned so much more about my dad through others, um, which, which I think says a lot about his own character. Like he's never one to ever speak about his accomplishments or anything. You would, you would never know that he was this amazing player because he just has such a, a great heart and he's so humble. And um, I don't think his career defines who he is. You know what I mean? So um, I think he, he likes to be defined by how he treats people. So um, yeah, oddly enough, I, I learned most of these stories through other people and then just going through uh, a scrapbook that like my mom made uh, of my dad when he was playing. Um, but like I said, a lot of it though relates back to, to life. And I think there are, there is a lot of synergy between trying to make it as a soccer player and all the emotions you go through being on a team or, or being a pro athlete um, and just relating that to, to normal day life. So that's where, you know, a lot of the lessons uh, came from. Awesome. Well, I didn't mean to go off, uh, get you going too far down, um, you know, down that path, but uh, let's circle back to, you know, I, I said you got drafted by Ray Hudson. Um, let's talk about uh, a forgettable first game. Um, you know, tell the people that don't know uh, you're amped up. You're the first draft pick. You want to go in there. You've talked about how you've always want to go in and make an impact. Um, you know, tell me about the first game that you ever played in MLS. Yeah, so my, my MLS debut, um, I just remember that my, my parents drove, drove down from Jersey to D.C. I had a bunch of my friends from, from UVA who came down, and uh, I knew I was going to play. I knew I was going to come off the bench. And, uh, yeah, I came in, I think, like 60th minute or something like that. And, um, yeah, as, as, as you refer to, I don't really remember anything after that because shortly after I came on, uh, I went in for a cross that, that, that was uh, sent in the box and I collided with Carlos Bocanegra and my own teammate, Bobby Convey, who like accidentally undercut me. So I flipped over, landed straight on my head like a spear. Um, really lucky that I didn't break my neck and, and be paralyzed, uh, but I ended up getting a, a pretty serious concussion 
which um, gave me like amnesia for about four hours or so afterward, um, where I didn't remember any, I don't remember anything. I wasn't there. I was, I don't even know how I was functioning if I'm being totally honest. Um, and then, yeah, you see on video that I'm like stumbling, staggering, my eyes are like a little crossed. And uh, somehow I also was allowed to stay in the match. So I stay in the match for another five minutes or so. And I believe it was Carlos Bocanegra who was like, hey man, are, are you okay? And apparently I start like cursing at him. And then he's like, do you know where you are? And I say San Francisco. And we're obviously in DC. And um, he starts motioning to my team of like, hey man, like I don't think this kid's okay. And uh, I somehow jog over to half field and like sit down Indian style. And uh, Goody, our trainer, comes out and they're like, you got to come out of the game. So they take me out. I don't recognize my parents after the game. I don't, apparently I had all these conversations. I don't remember anything. I was just like a blank face. And then hours later when I was in the hospital, it felt like somebody just like clapped in front of my face. And all of a sudden I just remember coming to and being like, why are we in the hospital? And I remember that my parents were there and some of my friends and they were, they were like talking as if I wasn't there. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, he's not doing okay. And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm here. Like, why are you, why are you not, why are you not talking at me? And I kept on asking like, why are we here? Why are we here? And no one was answering me. And when I looked around, I saw my, my parents were there, my friends were there. And I was like, my brother's not here. And I'm like, what happened to my brother? So I started freaking out in the hospital. Like, why won't anyone tell me what happened to my brother? And finally the doctors come out, Dr. Nunziato, which, you know, comes out and he's like, Leko, we're, we're here for you. You hit your head in the game. And I'm like, what? And so that was, that was my uh, MLS debut. Well, uh, yeah, it's a uh, uh, brutal, brutal to watch. I know you don't like to watch it. Um, you know, that, that's uh, unfortunate. I, I don't mean to laugh when you say you sat uh, Indian style, but um, it it's just funny. seems it just seems something like uh, like little Aleko would do uh, like like child Aleko. You know, he's going to go sit in timeout in the middle of the field. Um, but, you know, let's fast forward. It wasn't the necessarily that's not a great start to your first year. Um, you know, your first year wasn't necessarily uh, – you didn't have as much success as you had at previous, uh, you know, especially college your first year. But um, you get a coaching change at some point uh, your, your next year, right? Peter comes in about a couple, you know, 10 games into the season or something like that. No, no, right, right in the offseason. In the offseason, oh, just... Ray was hired, and then Peter got hired just right before the season. Okay, so Peter comes in um, and – I mean, I think you and I both love that guy more than than most. Um, but uh, he really kind of set you up for for a lot of success uh, going into the 2004 season. Um, you know, just talk a little bit about that 2004 season. I don't, you don't got to go too far in it. I know you were an all star. Uh, you score four goals in the uh, in the playoffs, two in the final. Um, you know, just a hell of a year. Uh, but just talk to me about that that first year to the second year and why you were able to find so much success? Yeah, just, just you know, mentality. Um, I think there were, you know, that, that rookie year was, was really, really frustrating for a variety of reasons, just trying to find your way. And I think we had a, a struggling team and the culture of the team wasn't all that great. Um, 
And I think, uh, and Ray kind of would admit that at the time he wasn't really into playing young players. Like he was, I remember when he called me to his office and he's like, he's, and he, it's kind of weird that a coach asked me, he was like, how old are you? Which I'm like, my coach should know how old I am. But I was like, I'm 20. And he's like, you have plenty of time, plenty of time. Don't want to hear that. And yeah, in my head, I'm like, I didn't like leave school early to go pro to just like have, you know, sit on the bench. But he, and it was just a bunch of us. Brian Carroll as well was another guy who like didn't play a single minute uh, that rookie year. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was really, really tough, but I learned a lot. And again, that, that chip on the shoulder kind of gets a little deeper where you're like, okay, I can't take this for granted because you know, it's not fun to, to not be able to play. So that next year, Peter was a breath of fresh air in that, you know, as soon as he took over in preseason, I'll never forget where he's like, I don't care what your name is on the back of your shirt. I don't care what your statistics say. I don't care what your like accolades are or history or whatever. Like I'm new here. You're all new here. And you're going to prove on the field who deserves to play. And when I heard that, my, you know, ears perked up where I was like, this is, this is my, this is what I thrive in, right? Make it, make it a fight, make it a fight where I have to earn myself. And it's not about like, oh, this guy's a veteran or this guy, you know, makes more money or anything like that. So Peter, and as you know, very well, he, he purposely uh, makes uh, practice incredibly competitive to see who is willing to fight and who isn't. And, um, and yeah, when that, when that shift happened, I think the entire culture of our, of our club changed. And, um, I think as a result, you saw a lot of the same players, if I'm being honest, from 03 that carried over to 04, obviously with the two major additions in, in Jaime and, and Christian, uh, later in the year, but a lot of the same guys who were kind of considered busts who now all of a sudden were like winners, you know, and. I think we owe a lot of it to, to Peter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Peter, for me, um, I've got some stuff I want to talk about if we get time, if we have time, you know, with uh, with him in general. But, um, you know, I loved him. Uh, for those that don't know, Aleko does an incredible Peter Novak impression. Um, so much so that if Peter was in a bad mood and uh, sometimes he thought it was funny and uh, meaning uh, in post- 9-11 America, Aleko would sometimes convince the people on the airplane to let him do his Peter Novak impression on the PA system, which is fascinating to me just in and of itself. But uh, if we would do that on the road and we would lose, he would blame Aleko uh, for the loss. And if he did it and we won, then he would let him do it on the way back home. So, um, you know, Peter has a special place in my heart. I know he does in yours. Uh, but we did mention uh, that year, heck of a year, all-star. Um, I know I, I already said it, the, the goals, I think, uh, you know, depending on when this airs is kind of the anniversary of that championship. I call it the the hand of Jesus goal. Uh, you know, it's not the hand, you're not a God. Uh, Jesus is probably a little, uh, a little over the top too, but uh, I just love that Jimmy Conrad still gets mad about it um, with a poor clearance that led to you scoring two goals in four minutes. Um, and, and your MLS Cup winner, MLS Cup MVP. That's right. Yeah. I think that's just uh, incredible. And then, then, of course, the next year you get a cooler come in uh, in the name of Bobby Boswell to kind of cool the team off. Um, you know, and then we became friends. We were friends off the field. Um, 
you know, at least I don't even know if we were friends. I, you just lived in Georgetown and I was always there drinking. We were and, brothers, buddy. We were brothers. We're more than <laughs> friends, man. More than friends. As, as, well, as we go. know, the bond, the bond uh, between teammates is, is pretty strong, but you, you share stuff that even your own family, you know, will never even know about. So yeah, but, uh, we, we were brothers, man. Well, Leko introduced me to girls I shouldn't have dated. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure he stole a girl from me, but we don't have to get into that. We were uh, we were roommates on the road, though. Um, for an, and this is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite Peter stories. Uh, we played in L.A. and the night before the game, and I have some beef with you on this. Uh, Aleko had his lacrosse buddies. A uh, UVA is a big no, lacrosse. No, 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 no. Stop. Stop. Aleko had his lacrosse buddies in town, and they were staying in the same hotel. They're professional lacrosse players. And literally, I go to bed early that night. I sleep with all my clothes on because I fell asleep reading. And I don't even drink coffee, but there was like a hot chocolate or something. And in the middle of the night, we're sleeping. And we hear a bang on our door. And I open you the door. You hear a bang on the door. I, didn't, I was out. Yeah, you, you had one eye open. You know, <laughs> It's Peter Novak, right? And he's looking at me and he, and I'm dressed up. Right. So of course not a good sign. And he's like, Oh, I knew it. You, you, he's cussing at me. He's like, you, you've been out drinking. And I was like, Peter, I haven't been drinking. I've, I've been here in the room all night. And he's like, no, I heard you and Aleko come in. And I was like, no, Peter, like we were not out drinking. And he's like, well, why are you dressed up? I was like, I fell asleep. I fell asleep reading. And he's like, reading, you don't know how to read, you know? And he's like, he's like pissed off. And I'm like, what the heck, man? Like, I didn't do it. And then he's yelling at you. You're sleeping. Like, I know you're not sleeping, you know, whatever. And he's like, we're going to deal with this in the morning. And he leaves. So wait, wait, wait. Can, can I give my version? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you were out. And I think oh, that you no. came back and woke him up on the way into the room. And I took the fall for I'm gonna I'm going to give you my version. And then you can continue from, from where you stopped. So <laughs> my, my version of it, I have a lot of family in L.A., a lot of Armenians in L.A., I have a lot of love for LA. So we're on an LA trip. Peter knows I'm going to go see my, my family. So he sees me leave the hotel to go meet with my cousins to go out to dinner. But we had an 11 p.m. curfew. I came back 11.30 and I was like, Ugh. came through the lobby. I was like, I'm probably getting in trouble, but thankfully no one was there that I knew of anyway. Came back to the room. I'm like, perfect. Came back a little late, but we're good. I came back into the room and what do I see? Bobby Boswell with all the lights on asleep in his bed with his jeans on and a button down and a book on his chest. And I, and I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> is this a joke or like, are you playing a trick on me? What's going on? And he's out, Bobby's out. So I'm like, what? Wow. I mean, must've been his first time reading a book. Killed him, you know? So I, I'll never forget this. I, being the roommate that I am, I tucked you in. I pulled the blanket out. I put a blanket <laughs> over you. I moved the book to the side. I cut out the lights and I went to bed. I went to bed and I went to bed hard and I was out. I woke up the next morning and I remember looking over to you and I'm like, dude, Peter, I have two missed calls from Peter at like 3.30 a.m. And you were like, are you serious right now? I'm like, yeah, like, do you think Peter was out or like, what's this all about? And you and you just looked at me like, are you serious? Were you out? Were you out? I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I, 
I'm like, what? I'm like, I came home and you were asleep. Like, what are you talking? And you're like, dude, Peter Bain on our door at 3.30 in the morning. And you told me that story and I was completely oblivious to all of it. And then I'll let you continue. Well, no, he was crazy. He, he made me breathe into his mouth. He said he was like, he was, and, and, and for those that don't know, Aleko used to always get a kick at, Peter would have us do crazy stuff and Aleko would say, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But like, he always caught me. Like, I remember once Peter was like, hey, can you help me shave my back in the locker room? And you were like, you walked out of the shower and you were just appalled, like appalled that I would do something like that. And I was like, what, dude? It's not a big deal. Peter had me breathe in his face. He's like, breathe in my, because I, I can smell the alcohol. And I was like, it's not alcohol, Peter. It's it's hot chocolate and I haven't brushed my teeth. And then he's like, oh, you are, you are effing lying to me. And I was like, so I just literally, your head coach, 3.30 in the morning, I'm just looking down at this little guy and I'm going like right in his face. And he was like, you are lying. You're like, and then he left. He like, and then the next day we played. I never forget. I was so mad after the game. I was like, Peter, I'm, I'm appalled that you think I would do that. And he told me like, oh, I had a dream and you and Aleko were out. And then I got up to smoke a cigarette and I looked at the room list and I'm like, ah, this is not the dream. And he yeah. heard the lacrosse guys going crazy. Yeah. And he thought so, but fun. then he was like, my, my friend, it's OK. No big deal. And I was like, it was a big deal to me. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, wait, 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 do you, you, you forgot about this because see this, my memory is better than yours. <laughs> if you remember, cause you told me about all this and then you were like, dude, we might not start. And I'm like, F that, like we didn't do anything wrong. I, I was in bed, like granted 1130, but like, we didn't do anything wrong. And you're like, I'm just telling you, man, Peter was pissed. He maybe breathed in his face, like all this stuff. And so we went to the pregame meal thinking like, dude, are we going to be in the lineup or not? And I remember he did the lineup and he was just, he was eyeballing us the entire like meal. I could just see him like pit bull, like eyeballing, trying to like get a reaction or like a confession or something. So he puts us in the lineup. I don't even, I don't know if I even told you this, but obviously I, I like to play a lot of jokes. So I waited until everyone was out of the room. And I was the last one, right? And everyone else was out. And just the coaches stayed because the coaches then had their like little team, little coaches meeting. So I waited until everyone left the room and I went to the coaches table and I was like, Peter, um, I saw my name on the lineup, but to be honest with you, I'm pretty hungover. I don't know if I can start. And he goes, I knew it. I knew it. And I was like, I'm just messing with you, man. Like, what are you, crazy? You think me and Bobby would, like, go out the night before a game? Like, you think we're amateurs here? Like, what's going on? And he's like, be honest with me. Be honest with me. Tell me if you if you went out. I'm like, Peter, I swear on my life, I didn't go out. You want me to call my cousin right now? Like, we, we didn't go out. I went to dinner and I came back. And he's like, why was Bobby in his clothes? I'm like, I don't know about Bobby. I don't know why Bobby was in his clothes, but he was asleep when I got home. So anyway – it all cleared up and we worked out, but it was, no, I love, I love Peter, he, but he was, he had some moments, man, that were just awesome. Uh, looking back on it, that people just don't realize what goes on. Behind genius, this. Man. He's a mad genius. So like, you can't expect yeah. him to be totally normal. No, no, he's great. Um, all right. Well let's, you know, 2005, um, you have a, another concussion, uh, a big collision with Matt Reese. Um, I'll never forget my mother ran into him in a hotel and told him uh, she didn't appreciate him doing that to you. So shout out to Mama Boswell for, for sticking up for you. Thank you. Um, 
But then let's fast forward. I don't want to get too hung up on the concussions. I know we'll talk about that at the end. Um, you know, back in 2006, you come back with a bang. Um, you know, you, you score a lot of goals. You're another uh, another all-star season. You score uh, this game right here, Real Madrid in Seattle. I think that was probably the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of at, yeah. at that point, maybe ever. Um, you know, we won the Supporter Shield. Um, you have probably the greatest goal celebration in the history of uh, MLS with the Red Bull. Uh, everyone, I'm sure if they know your name, they know that that celebration. Um, but but talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're thinking as you, you know, before you end up getting uh, traded to Toronto. Yeah. Um, well, you know, when, when I went through that concussion in 05, everything got put in perspective where I, I didn't know if I was if I would ever play again. So when I came back in 06, I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't take it for granted and I would, um, you know, take every goal that I scored like it was my last. So I tried to have more fun, be more creative with celebrations and things like that. Because in the back of my head, I'm like, if I get hit in the head one more time, like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm going to be a vegetable or, or be okay. Like, I have no idea. So um, I try to... I, and I also didn't want to change how I played, right? Because I was always aggressive and that's that's what I had fun. Like there were, there were moments there where I was like, oh, can I be cautious? And I was like, I can't. Like I, if I have to be cautious, then I, I'm not being me. So I wanted to keep playing the same way that I that I did and um, just have as much fun as I, as I could. Like you said, we had an amazing year, amazing team and um, unfortunately fell short in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, that off season, um, there were just massive wholesale changes for, for DC. I think it was like six or seven of us that got traded. And, um, the way my trade went down was, was really tough because, um, as you mentioned, I had a great relationship with, with Peter and I knew that Peter respected, you know, my, my value to the team and, uh, my agent that off season, was telling me like, hey, uh, New York is trying to get you and, and just, just want to give you a heads up that I think Bruce had just taken over at New York and they were like, Bruce is trying to work out a deal to bring you uh, from DC. And I was like, look, tell, tell Bruce that I'm happy in DC. Um, but I was like, at the same time, if I am going to go somewhere, like I'd, I'd love to go to New York. So my agent puts in a call to, I'll just say the leadership at DC United at the time. And my agent calls me back and he's like, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but like, you've already been traded. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, where? And he goes, uh, Kansas city. And I'm like, what? And so, um, I'm like, how is, how is this possible? And, and then I get really upset. Cause then I'm like, how did Peter not even have like, uh, the nerve to, to call me and give me a heads up. So I, I left a really nasty voicemail for uh, Peter. And uh, later, um, Kurt Onolfo was the coach at, at, in KC. He called me and he's like, hey, listen, I, I want to, if I'm going to trade for you, I want to make sure you're committed to the project. And I was like, Kurt, to be honest with you, I'm happy in DC and I, I'd rather stay. So, you know, with, I have a lot of respect for you and think you're going to do great, but um, I, I prefer to stay in DC. And Kurt was like, I only want players that want to be here. So like trades off. I'm like, great. Then my agent calls back and is like, now they've agreed to trade you to Toronto. And I'm like, what's going on? 
So I talked to Mo Johnston, and he was like, same thing. I don't want players that want to be here. And then somehow the trade went through. I found out in the media. And um, I called Mo, like, I thought you just wanted players that are going to be here. He's like, ah, I figured I'll, I'll convince you that you want to be here. So I'm livid because at this point, I've not heard from anyone at DC. I have not heard from Peter. And I and they're just media, like it's in the media. And like Stephen Goff is calling me, like, can I get a quote from like you being traded? And I'm like, and here's oh, here's the craziest part. Here's the craziest part. Right before that, right before it gets out in the public to the media, I already know that I've been traded, right? But Mark Simpson, our goalie coach, calls me and he's like, hey, just want to let you know we're gonna have voluntary training sessions starting next week. And I'm like, Simo, I'm pretty sure you just traded me. And he's like, no, let go. Like, there are a lot of rumors. Clubs always call about a lot of our players and all this stuff. And I'm like so confused, just sitting in Jersey, like what is going on? And then it's like five days later, Simo calls back and he's like, I'm really sorry, man. Like we had no idea, but yeah, you did get traded. And then the whole time, like what happened to Peter? Then news comes out that Peter quit and became the national team assistant coach so he then calls me back and is like if you ever leave me a voicemail like that again i'll kill you um and then it's like a month later that tommy gets announced as the new head coach and tommy calls me and he's like hey i just found out no one from the club ever called you to inform you that you've been officially traded so i know you know this already but i wanted to like just out of respect let you know like thank you for all you've done and uh, just know that this this decision was not mine. It was done before I took the job. I'm like, okay. Did you say Did you say thank you? No, I was I I, <laughs> I let out a a, a nice a nice a jersey, uh, jersey 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 strong a nice jersey salute, and then uh, told them they'd regret it and hung up. All right. Well, uh, I was I I thought about asking about Tommy the new regime, but I I don't really want to. Uh, go down that road. Um, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on t Toronto. Um, you're only there for a little while. You get traded to Salt Lake. Um, you weren't really there in Salt Lake. Uh, you know, you, you, you play, you do play some, but you know, your goal scoring record, granted the quality of the teams is, uh, it's, it's hard to be the, uh, the unicorn in terms of producing on your own. Uh, but then you end up uh, where everyone wants to end up and, and Chivas um, that's a joke. Um, but, uh, but you're, you're there and, and you, you get, you, you know, you had, I remember you always had scars. Um, I know you had some hernias and I think you had an adductor injury there. Yeah. Um, so you miss all but eight games and you still tied for the team lead in goals. Yeah. <laughs> with, with those five goals. So it's, I feel like you're making some, uh, you're making some progress. You're, you're, you're ready to come back. Uh, and then you get transferred to the galaxy. I'd imagine that's just like you roll your, your locker down the hall into another room. Yep. Yeah. Some, something exactly. along those lines. And exactly. you had to have been stoked about being a, being a member of the galaxy. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, you kind of touched on it, but I, I was on four teams in 12 months. It was, uh, it was crazy. It was really, really tough um, mentally as well. Just with uh, like, I never unpacked my, my bags. Um, you know, even when I was at Salt Lake, I was living with Nicky Raimondo in, in, in his basement. Um, 
in Toronto, I was like with Mar on Marisa Du's couch half the time. So uh, you just never kind of get that comfort level. And, and that definitely affected my, my play and my mindset. And then, like you said, I had some injuries uh, at Chivas, which, which uh, made me get another surgery and, and missed a lot of time. But I always knew I had the ability when, when I was healthy and just like needed to, to find my way within the team. And um, yeah, I think at, at Chivas, uh, I showed that I could still play. And then when I was traded to the Galaxy, it was like match made in heaven, perfect fit, where I, I finally had that same feeling that I had in DC, like in 06 and 04, where I was like, I have a great supporting cast around me where I could just focus on what I do best. And it's not about like carrying a team, like you said, or anything like that. And so many great players there with Beckham and Landon and Edson Buttle and Mike McGee. And um, yeah, it was just a pleasure to like show up to training every day. Jovan Karofsky. Um, and yeah, I think I played three games and had two goals. Felt like I was back to like, like back to the level where I was like, I should score in every game with these guys around me. And then uh, unfortunately, Played a friendly match against AC Milan and uh, took a really bad Thiago Silva clearance off the dome. And uh, that was it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of the at that point, that, that was your fourth, maybe four, is that your fourth big concussion? I mean, yeah, I know we don't fourth, really yeah. keep keep track, but um, I have in my notes, so I don't want to forget the coolest stat that you have. This is I think it fits you perfectly. We talk about you being a competitor. The Chivas games, even though you only played eight games, you played all three of your previous teams and you scored against all three of your previous teams. That has to be the greatest stat. And that's an Esky stat. If there ever was an Esky stat that, you know what, it's like, you're going to trade me like I'm going to make you pay. I mean, is that is that how you felt when you when you 100%, scored? One hundred percent. You know, you don't forget that stuff. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, in the business of soccer, um, sometimes maybe people forget the impact that it has on the human, right? And I was really, really, really hurt with, with uh, a lot of those, a lot, the way a lot of those deals went down. Because as you know, when we were in DC, that was family. Like we knew everyone in the offices. We knew the interns. We knew the volunteers. We knew the mascot. We knew the fans. Like I think you and I alone, Bobby, were responsible for filling up half of that stadium just by like marketing within like the streets of DC of convincing people like cool people to come to matches. So we, we had a lot of, I had a lot of, you know, invested emotion in, in DC and in winning the championship and to kind of see how like just a business decision was made, the lack of communication and, and lack of, I would say respect even um, with the departures, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And um, it, it shifted my entire, like the way I just viewed professional soccer and, and being on a team and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, when, when the opportunity came to then play against those teams, I, I made sure my groin was, was, uh, healed up for that one. And, uh, I, I don't care if I had a bunch of torn muscles, like there was nothing that was going to stop me from playing and scoring in those games. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that stat when I was looking at it. Um, but so you talked about, you know, getting kicked in the head again or taking a ball off the head and that, that kind of um, re-energized the, 
the concussions in your head and, and kind of the talk on what should you do. Um, you know, I know. By the way, don't ever say re-energize the concussions <laughs> in your head ever again. That's probably the worst medical explanation I've ever heard in my life. Well, well you know me. I don't. I my head is like I'm. <laughs> I, I'm so stupid in terms of uh, I, I've been hit the head so much. I don't have concussions, but just constant beating that. Uh, I make up words. I make up sayings. I try them out. You know, I I'm not even it. sure the pilgrims it. killed turkeys, but I used it in the opening, and I'm gonna stick with it. So. Um, <laughs> But, but it really – what I want to get to is, is I know uh, Ross Pauly and David Beckham reached out to you to kind of maybe talk to you about um, hanging them up. Um, you know, you've done a ton of work. You've been a keynote speaker, not just for the youth, but also for uh, in neuroscience. Um, you wrote a wonderful article for the Players' Tribune. Um, you, you know, you've talked a lot about the understanding of concussions – this is not something that's going to go away. I know people get tired of Taylor Twellman talking about it, but uh, it's a reality now. Um, you know, and as we learn more, we realize we don't know um, a lot. So just talk to me about, you know, having been one of the, one of the pioneers, unfortunately, um, in, in that field, um, you know, what, what, do you, what are you looking at going forward and what's the message uh, and what's your role in that message? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it's, it is such an important topic. And um, I'm really proud of the progress that's been made in, in, in regards to raising awareness about concussions and the technical and medical advancements that have come of it. Yeah, it's, it's not fun to be known as like one of the first guys to ever be forced to retire um, because of it. But, you know, once I was able to kind of go through my own grieving process and trying to, you know, reinvent myself and figure out what my identity is, then you start to realize like, man, I don't want anyone else to have to go through what I just went through. And it's a responsibility of mine to ensure that no kid has to, has to go through that. So by speaking out about it and, and trying to educate as many people as possible and, and fill them in on, on the realities of, of how it works, because, you know, you were in the locker room with me where, and I'm sure you were part of it as well. If when I was out like in DC, there was a little bit of like, come on, man, like we need you try to get back in there. Like how bad is it really? Like, I still see you kind of laughing or like, you know, hanging out with the guys because it's an invisible injury and there's no scar. There's no cut. There's no blood that someone could point at and be like, Ooh, yeah, you should sit out. You look like you're fine. Um, and Peter just, and Peter's remedy was all the guys that are injured, just run. Right. I mean, yeah. Or, like, or motivate you by like making your life, like your life as an injured person, if that's miserable, he thought it would motivate you to come back quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of his tactic at first, but I don't know if you remember this, Bobby, but you're on the team. Um, it was like middle of the summer. I couldn't do anything. Like, I couldn't even run. I couldn't jog. Couldn't, couldn't do anything. And I remember I asked Cisco, our equipment manager at the time, for every piece of gear that he had. And I was wearing like 10 layers of like sweatshirts. You're cold, right? What's that? Oh, oh go no, ahead. It was in the middle of the summer and I was just walking around the field because I wanted to sweat like just to like stay in shape. And I remember you guys were laughing like, look at this guy. He's just being a clown. Like, And I was like, no, like I can't run. I can't do anything. Like I want to. I want to be able to sweat. And I remember Peter pulled me aside and he's like, what are you doing? 
And I told him, I was like, look, man, like I can't do anything else. Like you don't, you don't know how bad I want to be out there. Like, and I think that's when it finally clicked on him because a few months had passed and he was like, look, I think you should go home. And he sent me home to Jersey. And that's when I saw the human side of Peter, where he was like, okay, this isn't something that I need to like motivate him more. This is, this is real. And actually he needs to get away. Um, so yeah, he sent me home. And I, didn't, I didn't play the rest of that entire season, but you know, the whole point of it is it's really, it's really tough. And it's a thin line because for some people, and, and you know, everyone's made up differently, but when you're, when you're a big piece of your identity is taken away from you, it's super damaging to, to your entire, entire mental makeup. And fortunately I had a strong support system and I, I had a belief that, you know, I would, I would overcome, but for some people that consumes them. And now you see people taking their own life, people who are abusive with their own, you know, friends and family or, you know, are dealing with these demons that they can't overcome. It's really, really sad. So I went through that after my last one, where at 27 years old, I'm playing with David Beckham, scored two goals in three games. And all of a sudden at the, at the, you know, flick of one header. Or yeah. Class, like one you said, thing, all of a sudden now it's like you're unemployed. You can't work out. You get headaches you can't exert yourself. I couldn't be out in the sun. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get my heart rate up. And now it's like, what, what is my life? And I went through a difficult, like, I would say year and a half where um, I, I truly had to go back to the basics and, and try to figure out, like, try to really look in the mirror and say, who am I? Like, what, what purpose do I have on this planet? Um, and uh, yeah, went back to the drawing board. Well, uh, I want to I, I want to talk about, you know, that when you come out of that and how you end up back on the East Coast. But um, any podcast interview with the Leco, uh, I don't want to talk about. It. I just had to mention uh, he went on a date with Kim Kardashian when he lived in L.A. Uh, that story is out there. I encourage you to go look at it if that's uh, if that floats your boat. And uh, and he also was subbed off uh, for Freddie Adu. Uh, those are two things that everyone always talks about with Aleko. I. That's not how I see it at all, other than the, I saw the giggly guy on the date that everyone thought was nervous, and I said, he's not nervous, he's laughing at his own jokes. Um, but, but let's fast forward. So you talk about, you know, hanging them up. Um, you know, you come back to UVA, um, and you became a doctor, right? Because you were in college for 11 years? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I outlasted some of my professors even, which is, which is a pretty <laughs> – phenomenal feat. But yeah, um, it's funny when I left UVA, I made a promise to my mom. I said, mom, I know soccer has been my thing, but I promise you I will get my degree from UVA. So even when I was in the league, I, I tried to continue taking classes on the side. Um, you remember, cause you would tag along for, for the girls, but I would go to American university to take some classes when I was in DC. Monday night uh, bowling. Monday night bowling. Right. That's right. <laughs> and then, uh, and then um, when I was in LA, I took classes at El Camino college actually. And uh, yeah, I was always kind of chipping away. And then when it all came to an end and, and the rug got pulled from under me and I had to retire um, and I was thinking about next logical steps. I was like, you know what? 
before I get into something else, I need to go back and, and finish my, my degree. So I went back to UVA and um, it was tough because I was, I was living in paradise. I was in Hermosa Beach, like steps from the ocean, uh, amazing life, but I was like, I, I wasn't fulfilled. And I had to get away from soccer because it was really tough being in LA where all my friends were my teammates and not being able to be in the locker room, not being able to share those experiences on the field. It was really tough. So I had to just get away from it all. Went back to Charlottesville and uh, yeah, finished my last year and a half. Um, got my degree and then just started to think about next steps. And um, from there, I had a familiar voice that called me, which was Peter Novak, who at that time was the head coach at Philadelphia Union. And at first he called me, he's like, I want you to be my assistant coach. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, I don't, I don't really want to go into coaching right now. Like I, I'm interested in, in other parts of, of the game. And we had a good chat about it. And then he called me a few months later and he's like, Hey, I think we have a different role that you might be interested in. And uh, yeah, I got hired as the youth technical director of the Philadelphia union. Yep. And uh, I think you coached, did you coach a little at UVA while you were doing your studies? Yeah. So when I was at UVA, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone that I went back to UVA. Like I was stealth. I didn't want anyone to know. I just wanted to like be alone. And um, when I went back to UVA, I was oddly enough in a class and one of the kids that was on the men's soccer team was in my class and he kind of like keeps on doing these double takes. And I'm like, is this kid just making fun of me because I'm old and he knows I, like, I shouldn't be in school and he keeps on looking at me. And, and actually the kid, he's a, he's a pro right now. His name's Kobe Spann. Uh, he plays out in Sweden and he kind of comes up to me after class. He's like, Hey man, you're the guy that played for DC United. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Oh my God. Like I used to watch you when I was a kid and all this stuff. And he's like, aren't you still playing? And I was like, no, I, I just, I just had to retire because of concussions. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Then the next class he comes and he's like, Hey, can you like come to my game and like, and like, let me know if you think I'm good. And I was like, sure, man, I'll, I'll come to your game. I'll come to your game. So I went and watched the game and then he started telling the other guys on the team, they told the coach and the coach is like, why didn't you tell me I'm here? That, that you're here. Uh, we'd love to have you come to training and all that stuff. So I wanted nothing to do with coaching. But when I saw, when I started talking to these kids, you start to realize, and Bobby, maybe you feel it now, but once you're out of the game, you start to like reminisce about all the good things that you did, but also all the mistakes that you made and how things could have maybe gone differently as well. And I found myself like seeing all these eager kids in college who are just like begging for an opportunity to be a pro. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much to, to like offer and teach. So um, I really, really love, like th those kids are a big reason I overcome what I was going through with my concussions because I was in a dark place feeling sorry for myself of like losing my identity. And those kids pulled it out of me to be like, damn, I have a lot to offer. I have a lot to like teach and I can help, if I could help even one kid not make the mistakes that I made, then it's all worth it. So um, totally, you know, uh, grateful for that opportunity and, and grateful, grateful for those guys to be so receptive of me being a, a volunteer coach. Yeah. So, I mean, you start there, you, you talk about, you don't want to coach, but you end up with uh, the, the Academy in Philly. Um, and then you end up with, with Gio uh, Savarisi. Is it, did I say Savarisi or Savarisi? 
Savarese. Savarese. Well, I, I hang out with the boxer Lou Savarese. So, oh, okay, okay. So, and you don't get his name wrong because he'll just hit you in the head. <laughs> so I always it's Gio Savarese. You um, should correct him next time. See how that. I will. Works. Yeah, I'll let you, and I'll have a bloody lip because he doesn't know how hard he hits. Um, uh, but you know, let's talk about full circle, man. I know we you're a big believer in the full circle, um, you know, in life and, you know, your dad played for the Cosmos and then, you know, it's maybe a different role, but you get to go back and be a coach and, um, you know, you had a lot of success while, while you were there. So, I mean, what did that mean to you uh, to go back to the club where, where your father was a, was a legend? Yeah, it was great. Um, it just kind of all came together where I was in Philly at the time and then uh, things ended in, in Philly, uh, and I was at a point where, you know, my my parents were obviously getting a little bit older, and you start to realize, like, man, I've missed a lot of moments in in my life because of the game, and it was like my 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 cousins and this and that, like graduations, weddings, all these different things that I could just never made it to. And something happened. I forget what it was. So it was something ordinary, but I was like, man, this is pretty crappy to like always miss out on all these things. And um, I was like, I need to, I need to go home and I need to find a job that's closer to home. And when I decided that Gio ends up calling me, tells me about the Cosmos project. And he's like, look, like there's no other person in the game that like this job is catered for than you, like with your history and, the roots and, and obviously being from the area, he's like, we, you know, we have to bring you in. So when he hired me, it was me, him, a gentleman named Jack Gaeta, who was like, like the team operations and one player, which was Carlos Mendez. That was it. So we literally built that club from scratch to hiring everyone, to picking jerseys, to sponsors, to fundraising, um, and then just building out the entire roster. So that experience was invaluable in terms of learning the entire back end of what it takes to build a club and to your point what it takes to build a successful club and what really drew me to the project um and we talked a little bit about like the bad taste that i know i had in my mouth maybe you've had as well with certain teams that we've been on what we made sure with the cosmos we were all former players between myself geo uh carlos yamosa Memo Valencia was the goalie coach. Even Jack was a former player. We all knew like what success looks like and feels like. And so we try to make sure that even with the Cosmos, it was very family oriented um, and that it was more than just a team that you're playing for. Um, it's very much like a passion and, and a brotherhood and, and uh, relationships that I think, you know, we'll carry for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I know. And, and, um, I, I, I love that group. I know you root for them uh, now in Portland. Um, they've done some great things there. Uh, you were the MPSL champions, uh, I think, under your guidance alone. But then you had the NASL. Uh, Y'all won that three times. I think you had an undefeated season, which yep. just t- talks about how dominant you were. Um, I, I Now you're the, uh, you know, I, I kind of talk about the coaching with, you know, you're a player. You played around the league. Then you end up going uh, – kind of the college route and that you, you have some college coaching experience, then you go into the academy system, then you go into the NASL slash, you know, you can make a case that that, that transitions into uh, USL and some of these other um, 
I don't call them lower leagues. I just call them different, different leagues in American soccer, um, which kind of gets you into this role where you've been around every aspect of the American game. Um, you know, played for the national team in Wales. I didn't, I didn't mention that. Uh, you got a cap with the U S men's team. Uh, but talk to me about what your role is with MLS now as the, the director of player development and, you know, what that means to you. Sure. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's been a, it's been a long journey and um, especially post concussions, post playing career. I try to like dip my feet into as many like pools as possible to kind of get a taste of, you know, what I was interested in and, and um, different parts of the industry. And um, like I said, with the Cosmos, even though I was coaching, we, since we didn't, we weren't a huge club, a lot of us wore, you know, many different hats. And one of the things that I became passionate about was the work that was put in prior to like stepping on the field. So everything off season related with scouting and signing guys and just managing everything, like building our roster enough that coaching actually was the easy part. Um, it was more about finding like the right fit and the right guys to like be part of the project. So um, grateful for Gio to give me a green light to, to, you know, be involved in some of those deals. And um, when it came time for next steps, obviously Gio was fielding offers um, because of our success from different MLS clubs. Um, at that same time, I had a meeting with the commissioner, Commissioner Garber, and uh, who, would, who would kind of check in with me like once a year, just see how I was doing, which was really thoughtful of him. And um, he, we had a, a dinner where he was like, hey, what are, what are your goals? Like, wh what do you want to do? And I started thinking more and more about it. And I'm like, I don't know if I just want to be a coach. I don't know if I want to live this life of that's like, you know, every Saturday, every Friday, you're gone, you're on the road, you're, you know, your, your life is just on a schedule. And uh, I'm like, I'm kind of passionate about this other side of things. And the commissioner mentioned like, look, we, we might have an opening, you should take a look. So um, I interviewed for a position in the player relations department. And uh, I got the job. I had to break the news to, to Gio and, and leave him. But Gio was extremely supportive. And his words to me was, were like, I knew, you're gonna, I knew I was going to have to let you go at some point because I, I know you have more to offer. So um, when I made the transition to the league office, again, just a whole new environment. Couldn't wear shorts and a jersey to work anymore. Um, had to buy some real clothes. And, uh, and yeah, I was now surrounded by lawyers and accountants and um, all these different specialists in, in different fields. And that was great for me because I, I've learned so much in, in my years there. And currently I'm almost in a dual role between player relations and player development. And to kind of give you the short version of it, it's basically, uh, it's basically worrying about everything that is off the field, meaning rosters, budgets, salary cap, rules, um, scouting, um, every, everything in regards to building a club and, and that, that then relates into the product onto the field. Yeah. And I know I've seen some of your work at the rookie symposium. Um, you know, I'm on the other side in terms of uh, helping from the PA side and, and you you've got former players helping. I know I saw Johnny Wilson and, uh, and Patrick Ayani there. So um, you know, still, I think everyone's trying to fight the good fight and, and help. We're all on one side, man. We're all on one help, side. Help grow the game to, to improve it. You're right. No, you're right. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a wordsmith, you know, or, or <laughs> I'm not even sure that's a word either. 
Um, but uh, for those that don't know, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, Aleko is on social media. Um, he put Aleko11 as his hashtag or his at name as opposed to the other Alekos that you know and you follow. Um, good thing he put his number on there. Um, but you can find him. If you do follow him, uh, you know that he's been very vocal, especially lately. He brought it up earlier. Um, you know, he's always been someone that's focused on the Armenian genocide and, and bringing awareness to it. But uh, for those that aren't familiar with world politics, um, there's been uh, an Armenian-Azeri conflict that, that's uh, kind of taken the headlines. And he's been doing some really great things in terms of uh, this Jersey initiative that, that he's got going on. Can you uh, tell the listeners what that is? And, um, you know, if people are looking to, to help or to learn more, um, kind of lead them in the right direction. Yeah, thanks, Bobby. And definitely encourage people to do their own research about um, the situation in Armenia and, uh, yeah, the conflict with Azerbaijan and Turkey. Um, unfortunately, it's a situation where because uh, of corruption and resources and all sorts of other things, the message is not always uh, portrayed accurately. So you have to do some digging. Um, but, yeah, there, there are a bunch of innocent um, Armenians that are that are suffering and being displaced. And we certainly feel like it has remnants of the genocide all over again. So we're doing everything that we can um, as Armenians in the diaspora to prevent that from happening, raise as much awareness as possible. And specifically for me, it's to raise funds that we can donate um, directly to these families that have lost everything overnight. So um, I naturally decided to reach out to the soccer community that um, you know I feel like uh, has always had a way of relating to the underdog and relating to, um, you know, folks that don't have a voice. And the feedback that I've gotten has been incredible with collecting signed jerseys that we're then going to donate and, uh, uh, sorry, signed jerseys that we're going to auction and then donate all the proceeds to, uh, those families. So I'm hoping to have it up on a website in the next couple of days. I'm working through how setting up an auction works right now and like tax implications and all that stuff. So figuring all that out, but in the coming days, we should have them all online. So feel free to follow me on social media, on Twitter or on Instagram at Aleko11. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be really great for people to check it out. Um, we've got some amazing names and jerseys that, that have been donated. Guys like Pele and Raul, legends of the sport to young up and comers like Gio Reyna, Zach Steffen, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, uh, women's side as well, Megan Rapino, Rose Lavelle, Carly Lloyd. So yeah, really, really um, blessed to have the involvement of these legends and uh, hoping we could raise money that'll help change a lot of lives. Yeah, when I when I saw you were needing jerseys or not really needing them, but uh, collecting them, I was going to reach out. But then I realized that you were uh, you know, collecting players that were good and, and famous. And... <laughs> no, no, no. I'll take your jersey, brother. I'll take your jersey. Right, well, I got one for you. Um, but listen, I, I'll I, combine I, it with mine and it'll, it'll make one <laughs> half decent player. Well, that girl you set me up with, she cut my jersey in half and, uh, and sewed it to a football jersey and went to Halloween as a cleat chaser. So uh, thank you for introducing me to that wonderful. She was soul. honest. Yeah, she was honest. She was honest. Well, no, listen, uh, this was definitely more fun for me than you because I got to reminisce on some of the old times. Um, you know, I appreciate you giving us some of your time. Uh, you know, what an incredible 
uh, underdog story that you like to sell, even though you scored 150 goals uh, on your high school team and then 60 goals in college and then another 35 goals in the pros. Um, but, you know, you, you, uh, you're rewriting your book in terms of not just being a soccer player. And, and it's really fun to watch from afar. And, um, you know, once again, just thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, brother. And I'm extremely proud of you as well, man. Uh, I know you're, you're doing an amazing thing by amplifying the voices of, of current and former players and the work that you've done yourself and the path that you've carved uh, has been inspirational to me and I know to a lot of other guys. So keep doing your great work. And uh, it's, it's always an honor to be your friend and a brother. All right, man. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, the one and only Aleko Eskandarian. Love you, man. Thank you for listening to Play by Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at MLSplayers.org.